Hi, Sarah. You're the only one. Good to have you guys here. My name is Justin Rohr. I'm the pastor here. It's good to have you at Restoration here for the first time. Uh, Man, what a good day to show up. We are a church of about 15 months old now, and um, God's been doing some amazing things and growing us, and so we're really, really honored to have you here with us today. And if you are joining us for the first time or haven't been in a few weeks, we We are in a series called How to Grow because it's springtime and finally I can be on a Sunday morning and say it's springtime and it actually looks like springtime outside. When we started this, it was snowing outside and that was not good for the morale of talking about this for sure. And last week it was a a torrential downpour in the middle of it, so that wasn't very fun. But luckily for Baptism Day, as it's outside today, there is not a downpour or snow because it'd be like, you know, buried with Christ. And then we'd literally have to bury you with Christ because you'd probably die of hypothermia or getting struck by lightning. So... Luckily, that's not happening today. So we're talking about how to grow because it's springtime and everything's growing. And so it hopefully allows us to begin to ask the question, what does it mean for me to grow? Am I growing? That's the question we're asking in this series. This is a question we want you to ask. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we know that, that people show up week in and week out that are in different places. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you doubt the, the claims of Christianity. Maybe you've been a believer for many, many years. This room is full of people on all different places in their spiritual journey. But wherever you are, the question I would ask you today is, are you growing? So if, if you missed a week, we have a podcast. You can see kind of our little fancy podcast up here on the screen that we have on uh, iTunes. You can go back and catch up. But what we've talked about in this series um, is essentially that growth starts in our hearts. It starts beneath the surface. It's, it's the soil of our hearts. Just like a tree or any plant, real tangible growth starts beneath the surface where people can't see. And so God has to cultivate our hearts constantly to uproot, to deepen, to break up hard ground so that the seeds of new life, the seeds of growth can be planted. That's what we talked about the first week. Last week we talked about our source How Jesus in John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the vine, the source of life. And so as that source, that anytime I'm trying harder, that my religion is just something, it's I got to just pull myself up by my bootstraps and and try harder. We're actually counterintuitively working against ourselves. That try harder religion is the antithesis of what Jesus is talking about, because if he is the source All we have to do is to grow deeper into the vine, grow deeper into the life in him. We talked about how a tree, you don't never see an apple tree go, and then there's an apple. That doesn't happen, does it? And yes, I did that last week, and it's just as gross this week, but... But you never see a tree do that. You never see a tree operate that way. Why? Because they naturally grow fruit. That's just what they were made to do. The same is true for us. The the harder we try, the more we make it about our effort and not just resting and abiding in Jesus and doing what we were created to do all along, the more that we're working against growth in our life. Simply abiding is what brings that. What I've noticed, however, is in conversation as we've talked through pictures of growth and and the perspective of Jesus bringing that in is that that for some of us, the the, the idea of spiritual growth from the lens of Jesus is a bit, um, it just feels off from what we know. 
Especially when, when, you, when you consider the understandings of personal growth in our world right now. If you go on Amazon and you search personal growth, there are over 60,000 books specifically about personal growth on Amazon. So there's a lot of different voices, a lot of different books and ideas. Chances are you're here today and you maybe even have one of those personal growth books on your shelf that's on Amazon. You're, you're looking for that sense of growing together. What I noticed as I was scrolling through these books is there's some common language uh, ideas, some things that are consistent throughout these ideas. There's, there's language like, like being unleashed, like owning your life, own your stuff, own your life, take control of your destiny. One book said you need to have an untethered soul. Release yourself from the boundaries and the things that, that, that it caused you to be held back. And then as you do that, you will begin to grow. That language seems to be, in a secular sense, consistent in all of the pictures of growth. But what's holding you back is that you have too many limits on your life. And so once you recognize those limitations and you remove those limitations, you will be free. And when you're free, you'll grow. Would you, would you say that's the culturally accepted version of growth? Have you heard that before? Have you heard those words? Have you heard those ideas? And so when you bring that worldview of growth into Christianity, when you bring it into an environment like this, and then you hear what Jesus has to say about growth, well, you begin to wonder, is the world right or is, is Jesus right about it? Is, is there some sort of connection here? Because if growth for me is simply about finding the places where I have limitations and throwing them off in every way possible so that I can finally figure out how to grow, then in that sense, Christianity seems a bit repressive. Have you heard that before? Have you heard people say that I don't like Christianity because it puts too many limits on me? It represses me. I have to have certain limitations in my life. And you know what? They're, they're right. Christianity does have limitations. It does have limits on us. It has relational limits. It has financial limits. It has sexual limits. Anything that, that represents those things that challenge personal autonomy, which is really the foundation of philosophy in our day, that we are personally autonomous, and that's what everything is about, it makes Christianity seem like everything's just holding me back. So maybe you bring in today a bit of attention because you are immersed in a world that says, if you have limits, throw them off and you will grow. And you come in here and you hear Jesus say, wait, 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 wait. Maybe limits aren't the problem. There's commercials, there's advertisements, day in and day out that are told that if you buy this product, if you use this shampoo, if you drive this car, you will be free. You will be that person you've always meant to be. You boring, terrible person in your sedan. <laughs> Look at the limits that you are placing upon yourselves when this beautiful, wonderful sports car is here to take off the limitations so you can be you. And you're not really you until you get this. Because that represents you throwing off the boundaries. Just think about shampoo, for instance. It's not an advertisement of whether or not this cleans your hair. I wouldn't know. 
Um, I haven't had to do that for a while, unfortunately. But it says you should buy this not because it works, but the language is because you're worth it. You're worth it. Your hair should be clean, and by God, you are worth it. It doesn't matter if it works or not. You're just worth it. You're worth it to have your hair this beautifully clean. And if you put this, this shampoo in your hair and you dry it and you see the, per, the they, they shake their hair and it looks all beautiful. And that person, that person that's, that's got that hair so beautiful, you know what? They threw off the boundaries of not very clean hair. And they've taken upon the freedom and the growth of having this beautiful hair that came as a result of simply buying the shampoo at Target. What a world we live in. What freedom we can find these days. And then Jesus comes along and ruins it. Repressive old Jesus saying, oh, maybe your unhindered autonomy isn't actually helping you reach your potential. But instead, Jesus is saying, maybe, maybe there's some dependence and trust that actually makes you more fruitful than if you chose to live in that autonomy on your own. Maybe the limits aren't the problem. Maybe self-actualization is not about the limits that are placed on you. Last week, we looked at John 15, and we talked about how growth comes not by trying harder, but by abiding in Jesus. And I want to look at a few verses from that passage once again to kind of give a foundation for today. So in John 15, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, he removes And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. We were made for fruitful lives. We're made for abundance. We're made for more than what we're experiencing. The reason why there's 60,000 plus personal growth books on Amazon is because whether you're a Christian or not, innate within humanity is an understanding that we were made for more than just... We're made for more. Do you get that ache? Do you look at your life sometimes and you think, there is so much more that I could be experiencing right now? Whether you are a Christian or not, I guarantee you, you feel that ache. Every book that's written that you see on Amazon, every philosophy is that ache within us saying, I know that we were made for abundance. We were made for more than just a fruitless life of seeking our own pleasure and our own experience for the rest of our days. Every philosophy, every self-help book, every person knows that that's what they're made for. And I bet probably today, as you walked in this room, there was probably at some point today, before you woke up or as you got out of bed, and, and, and you probably felt that, that ache, that, that there has to be more. There has to be more than this. And, and it's good news then that Jesus did make us for abundance. What, what is strange about Jesus' understanding of this, though, is that he uses this idea we see in these verses of, of pruning. How many people know what pruning is? Maybe you are gardeners. I'm not. I kill everything that I touch when it comes to planting things. Pruning is the process of removing both dying 
and overgrown branches in order to increase fruitfulness and growth. So you're cutting back the things that are dying or you're cutting back the things that are actually overgrown in order to produce more growth. Um, This past week was the first time I've really uh, pruned my yard in spring, and it was so awful. It's horrible. You know that first time of, of cutting back, but you know if you just let it grow anywhere and you don't do anything, it will choke the life out of everything. You have to cut back the things that help it to be more fruitful. So pruning cuts away what oftentimes makes the, the plant look healthy in order to uncover what's underneath, in order to nurture the fruit that it was actually made to create. So, so for example, here's a picture of an unpruned grapevine. Now, everything about this, if I'm just, I don't know anything about it. If I'm walking through a vineyard and I see that, does that not look healthy? That looks beautiful. You can walk through and there's all these beautiful plants and things like that. And and it looks like it's so alive. But underneath, what you're not seeing is that the, the buds of the grapes are being choked away. By all of that vegetation that's grown around it. Not only because it can't get sunlight, but because of all the nourishment that's coming from the vine, it doesn't get that nourishment taken to itself because that's all being taken away by the overgrowth. And so the, the, the vineyard, uh, the, the vine dresser comes and he prunes. So look at this. This is a picture now of a pruned vine. That's depressing. That looks just straight up dead. And if you've ever walked through a vineyard before and you look, I'm like, like you, these people are not doing well in the whole grape, <laughs> grape department. Maybe they kind of, maybe somebody got a little trigger happy with the, with the snippers there. But this is actually a picture of what a healthy vine should look like in producing fruit because all of the things around it, the things that made it look alive, but were actually pulling away the very places that it needed to grow are taken away. And now, with everything uncovered, with everything taken away to where the light and the resources can go towards that fruitfulness, now it will produce more than it could ever have done if it were just left to grow on its own. In his book, Four-Chair Discipling, Dan Spader describes this process this way. This is fascinating to me. He says, a typical young branch will surface 10 to 12 buds that can become clusters of grapes. But early on, it will need to be pruned back to two or three buds in order to produce rich, luscious clusters of grapes. Two or three luscious clusters is preferable to 10 or 12 mediocre clusters. Interestingly, the gardener is never closer to the branch than when he's pruning it. Each branch is is unique, so each branch needs to be carefully analyzed in order to be pruned most effectively. The gardener scrutinizes each branch because he knows that an abundant harvest is at stake. I love that statement that the gardener, that God himself, is never closer to us than when he's pruning us than when he's cutting the things out, when he's giving us limits that help us produce more fruitfulness. And what we find in this picture of growth that Jesus gives us in John 15, that these limits that we are talking about, they're not hindrances. Our limits are gifts. 
Our limits are gifts to us from God to help us create and be more fruitful in our lives. And for parents, we know that, that putting limits on our kids is not something that really inhibits their freedom. It actually helps them be more free. So, so I put limits. I don't know about you guys that are parents. I put limits on where my kids can play. Um, namely, they're not allowed to play in the street. Works out. Now, there's been several times I have been accused, and I know this is surprising, I've been accused of being mean. Now, no one say amen because that's not true. But I've been accused of being mean by my children because I had the audacity to limit their freedom, to put limits on them to make sure that they did not play in the road and get hit by a car. Now, that, now that to me, it, it seems like that is true freedom. I'm offering real freedom to my children because they're not going to get hit by a car. Now, from their perspective, yes, it may seem like in that moment that I am giving them something that's holding them back forever. Dad, why would you do this to me? Screaming and crying. You can tell I've gone through this very recently. <laughs> Still very raw. But I'm offering out of my love the limits that my children need in order to provide the utmost level of freedom they can truly experience. Not because I limit them, because I don't love them. It's precisely because of the love that I have for them that I put limits where it needs to be so they can become everything that they were fruitful in being. Tim Keller illustrates it this way. He says, in many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the liberating restrictions if we only grow intellectually, vocationally, and physically through judicious constraints, why would it not also be true for spiritual and moral growth? Instead of insisting on the freedom to create spiritual reality, shouldn't we be seeking to discover it and disciplining ourselves to living according to it? Instead of throwing off the limits that are on us, what if we discovered the right limits that God can place within our lives, knowing that that pruning, that those limitations actually produce more freedom and more life and more growth in us? Do you look at a marathon runner who trains many, many hours a day and, and, and runs and, and wins these marathons, do you look at their training schedule and think, man, what a repressive lifestyle. What limits they place upon them. Those limits help create the person that he is to make them who he is. Or think about the people. I know some people in my life that have been losing dozens and dozens of pounds because they have placed the right limitations on their diet and on their exercise. That those limitations, while it creates limits on their freedom momentarily, in the long run creates an incredible freedom of the fullness of life. Those limitations are not hindrances. When God gives us those limitations, they are gifts. Let me tell you about a limitation I struggle with. And I bet you struggle with it too. Sabbath. Sabbath is hard. If you don't know what Sabbath is, that's a, that's a fancy church word for intentional, God-driven rest. 
It's not escaping. It's not just turning on Netflix and turning our brain off. Rest is resting our whole being. There's a big difference between rest and escape. We can escape and then we feel just as tired afterwards. You ever done that? You ever had just had this awful, awful week and you're so exhausted and then you go and you escape into something like a movie or a TV show and you binge watch and at the end it's like, I'm still so tired. Because you're escaping. Rest is bigger than just escape. Rest is stopping. You see, back in the day when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, they were as slaves. They created the pyramids. They built stuff. They created these bricks. And so as slaves, they were essentially valued by how much they could produce. If you can make more bricks, guess what? You're more valuable. And so they produce and they produce and they produce and they produce and they produce. And then all of a sudden God frees them from slavery and they're outside of, their, of the people who had held them down for so long. And God institutes this limit on their life where he says, take one 24-hour day and just stop trying to produce. Why? Because you belong to me and you are no longer valued by how much you can produce. Your value and your worth is not in what you can do. It's in who you are in me. I'm giving you the gift of identity, of being a son and daughter of God. And so you can stop precisely because of that. You can stop producing. You can stop striving for 24 hours and just remember on that day that I am your identity. You don't have to earn your worth and value anymore. So when we don't rest, when I don't rest, what I'm essentially saying to God is that, God, I can do more in seven days than you can do in six days. I I, I believe, God, when I don't rest, what I'm essentially saying to you is is that that extra day, I, I just, in my heart of hearts, I have to tell you that my value is still in what I produce because if I stop, I can't produce more. I can't go on. I, and so I have, have always struggled with accepting that beautiful gift of the limit of Sabbath, of just stopping. And we wonder why there's so much anxiety and depression and, 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 and unhealthiness because we are such a hurried, deeply rushed, and exhausted people. Are we not? We need rest. We need the gift of just stopping. Instead of running and running, 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 and then burnout and then depression and at worst fear and, and, and guilt and shame and all the things that come with when we work too hard and then we don't know how to find that place of identity, every week we have this opportunity to stop and to simply place and accept the limit that God gives us and say, I will trust you today just to produce more in me than I can do on my own. I'll stop and I will rest. John 10.10 says, I have come so that you may have life. And not just have life, have it in abundance. Do you get that? Jesus didn't come to stifle us. He didn't come to hold us back. Everything that God brings us in his goodness, even our limits, is a gift to bring not scarcity, but bring abundance. God is not a God of scarcity. He is a God of abundance. He came to give us abundance. The first lie in Genesis 3 that we see from the serpent is is that God is not good. And not only is God not good, he's withholding from you. 
He's holding back. And if you disobey him, you'll get the things that he's holding back from you. If you'll just take control, if you'll just throw off the limits, and you do you, Adam and Eve. And when that happened, when they threw off the limits and didn't just trust that God was good, we see what happens. Sin enters the world. The one thing the enemy does not want you to know today, I promise you this, he does not want you to know this and to take this into your heart, this truth right here, that God wants more for our lives than we want for ourselves. Do you believe that? That even in your limitations, even in the ways right now that life seems to be holding you back, that those limitations, those struggles can be the gift that's producing the fruitfulness in you that you always want. So today is really just about His goodness. Do I trust that God is good? Because if I trust that God is good, then I will stop trying to throw off the good gifts that He's given me. I will receive his rest. I will abide in him. I will press into the vine, to the source. I will not pull away by striving and trying to do it on my own. Today is a day when I say, God, I believe that even in my limits, you want more abundance for me than I could ever want for myself. And so I simply surrender and I trust in you. You're going to give us, God, more than we can do on our own. So I pray today, Jesus, that in our limitations, as we grow weary sometimes, as we grow impatient with what seems like life holding us back, that today we would stop, that we would slow down, we would take a deep breath and we would realize that Our identity is no longer in what we produce, just like the world tells us day in and day out. That Jesus, our identity is in you. So we can stop, we can can trust that, that you are good, that every single thing that you bring into our life, you are working for our good and for your glory. Today, Lord, I know that there's, there's people here that have been deeply frustrated with the limitations that's been placed upon their lives by whatever the season they may be in, maybe the, the circumstances, but whatever that may be, we trust today that, Lord, even in our disobedience, even when we run away from you, even in those moments when we come back to you, you work all things, even the bad things, together for our good and for your glory because you are good. Today we trust, we hope, we celebrate that you are good and that you have good things for us, that every good and perfect gift, it comes from you. So we stop and we remember. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Today we're going to celebrate communion together.